There is no better way to kick off Halloween weekend and celebrate my birthday than with a live show in our hometown of Dallas, Texas. For one night only, we're presenting a special live show at the iconic Texas Theater in Dallas, Texas. It will be our last Sinisterhood live show of 2022, so you don't want to miss it. If you want first dibs on tickets and limited VIP meet and greet passes, head to our Patreon and join at the Ruling the Airwaves tier or higher. Patreon pre-sale will be happening on Wednesday, September 7th. Check patreon.com slash sinisterhood for details. Tickets go on sale to the general public this Friday, September 9th at 10 a.m. Central. Head to sinisterhood.com slash live shows for links and more details, and we'll see you in Dallas on October 27th. This is the true story of nine strangers picked to serve on a court, decide cases together, and have their actions scrutinized. Find out what happens when rights stop being decided by voters and start getting real eroded. This week's episode is Supreme Court Roundup 2022. Up, bumping the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Love the real world intro. (laughs) Did it just for you. (laughs) I have to give Heather a ton of credit. She has basically done this entire episode by herself with her legal brain. And I have already learned a lot. And I know I'm going to learn even more over the next however long this takes because we got a lot of stuff to cover. I appreciate. uh, I'm glad we're doing this on the main feed and uh, sharing Mm -hmm. it with everybody. And thanks for uh, helping me keep my million mile an hour like legal brain on track of like what we're going to talk about and i i told you you always 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 uh bring so much to the table because you have such passion and such heart and law school literally does i've listened to and read a lot of stuff in advance of this and several things talked about how law school can kind of suck it out of you as far as being passionate about things and kind of saying well i have to see both sides Mm. and i think it's important when we are faced with what we're faced with now that we don't lose that passion and so mm-hmm. you help galvanize me and get me excited and upset and passionate and i'm wearing my beto t-shirt i see it. twinning twinning with you i uh, um, oh actually mine is a, it's the same color but it's salem and it has a well i'm just saying it. i have the same shirt as you oh so. yeah 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 the yes. one that you famously wear in many of our instagram posts i do and i'm famously stopped on tour by many people regardless of what i'm doing at the time to talk about our <laughs> Uh, uh, the governor race. So it's, uh, it's known across the country how shitty our governor is, which is For sure. pretty wild to me that our politics are just like that polarizing in mm-hmm. our state that people everywhere um, know about them. But hopefully in the next year or so, we can start to really turn that around. And we're going to talk about that and a ton more. Because mm-hmm. we always get a lot of legal questions when something major happens in the world. And when Roe v. Wade was overturned and, and other things, we had just an influx of emails and DMs from concerned listeners and people asking what can they do to help. And also just like 
I am so bummed. I'm so depressed. How do I stay positive? So we're going to really address a lot of that and get into how things got to be like this. Definitely. And so thank you to all of our listeners who sent it. We had hundreds and hundreds of questions come in. We try to make sure the frequently asked ones are answered. We'll also have a segment towards the end where we'll, we'll kind of where we've turned them into uh, amalgamations of, of frequently asked questions and we can address them there. But thanks to everybody that sent them in. We called it the WTF SCOTUS uh, form. And I said, please ask any question except what the fuck or how dare you. We still got some of those in, <laughs> which is fair. We'd have like a full question and be like, also, how dare they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I know. And I also want to say, because I know we have listeners across the political spectrum that I think this applies to everybody. I think everyone should what we'll see as we go through the interpretation of these cases, the case and how they were decided. I think it has been on both sides of the aisle. You should be horrified at the erosion of what was once a very venerated institution, that it's something like 75 percent of Americans had lost faith in the Supreme Court. And that was before the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade. And it's, I'm assuming, gone way, way up for reasons we'll discuss herein. So I, I would hate to have someone go, well, I'm probably not going to politically agree. This is informative. Obviously, everything is colored by what our beliefs are and our beliefs will be in there. But we did our best to say, here's what the arguments are. Here's how it was decided. And here's why that dangerous precedent going forward. Yeah, because while we are obviously progressive liberals and we're on the shitty end, the end of this stick, uh, this could just as easily flip in a few years. And then, you know, uh, conservative Republicans are on the shitty end of the stick. So even if you don't lean the same way we do, just because we're not looking so great right now, it could flip and then... Don't you want to be able to know how you can change it for your own good, too? Absolutely. You see the barn door kicked open, and it's all great if you're the one running out. Right. You go, boy, I don't want what's behind me to run out either. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where we're at right now, the old barn door. The old barn door. (laughs) Well, I am Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. The highest court in the land, the Supreme Court of the United States, is a venerated institution that captures the attention of the nation and the world each June as it issues its opinions. But what exactly is this institution, and why are major day-to-day rights of citizens determined by nine people who have no bosses, no term limits, and no consequences to their actions? The main entrance to the Supreme Court of the United States reads, Equal justice under law. Called SCOTUS for short, the building houses the highest court in the United States, where nine appointed justices sit to determine whether laws passed by the legislative branch, Congress, are in accordance with the Constitution. One of three branches of government, SCOTUS justices are not elected like Congress or the President, but are instead appointed by the President, then confirmed by the Senate. Each justice has a lifetime tenure and no mandatory retirement age. Once a justice is appointed to the court, they serve for life, subject to the possibility of their impeachment. The Constitution states that the justices shall hold their offices during good behavior. And if you think about what they're supposed to do, seems like a good idea, right? You don't want somebody to be like, well, I got to get the vote, so I'm going to rule in this way or the other way. But lifetime appointments in, uh, I don't know, 1800 were vastly different than lifetime appointments in 2022, where we just studied transhumanism and they're like, people can live to be 150. Right. And what other job do you ever have forever? Right. That you that, you know, going into it, that you're going to have it forever. There are lifers that companies, but no one apart from this is ever hired and is like, 
And for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you get to be this. You got it made. Co-host of Sinisterhood, first of all. Just <laughs> okay. That. That, that is true. No, it's a good question. Well, and, and saying like, well, and we can get into impeachment later in the questions, but to be like, in theory, you got to do something real bad. How many Supreme Court justices have ever been impeached and removed? One. Who in was all it? the years. It's only one. Who? Samuel Chase. So he uh, is 1804. He was charged with arbitrary and oppressive conduct of trials. Basically, they said he was so politically biased, it impacted his rulings. And he had a Senate trial. He was acquitted until 18. I'm sorry. He wasn't removed. Only one Supreme Court justice has been impeached where he was brought to trial before the Senate. And it was Samuel Chase in 1804. And he was charged with arbitrary and oppressive conduct of trials. But he was in the Senate. They acquitted him because you go to trial in the Senate and he continued to serve on the court until his death in 1811. So even that there was 15 different federal judges have been impeached. But then those have been convicted of they were convicted and removed. But those were federal judges at the lower level. There's Mm -hmm. only been one Supreme Court justice ever impeached and he wasn't even removed. And it was in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. And I think that there's been several instances where current Supreme Court justices could easily have been impeached. Clarence Thomas, I'm looking at you. Yeah, you're not wrong. The United States has been called an experiment in democracy. The basis of the American government is the Constitution, a document written in 1787. The Constitution sets up the basis for the three branches of government. First, the legislature is comprised of the two houses of Congress the Senate, and the House of Representatives. These are elected officials who are meant to represent the will of the people and pass laws to help govern. Second, the executive branch is headed by the president and is meant to enforce laws. And finally, the judicial is responsible for interpreting laws and determining whether the laws are, quote, constitutional. If not, the laws are struck down by the court, meaning the nine justices are imbued with extreme power. Yeah, if you think how long it takes to pass a law, I'm just a bill, if you're not familiar with that. Oh, yeah. I remember bill that. Bill makes it up. It, Wasn't that the little cartoon bill that mm-hmm. would go up the steps of the White House or the. Sitting here yeah. on Capitol Hill. Yes, I mm-hmm. love that little bill. <laughs> I love little bill. Well, it's hard and it's hard to get up and he may die in committee. And it really explains very well, Schoolhouse Rock, how this works. So you think he makes it all the way. The president could veto it. If he, he signs it, then he goes into power. And still yet, after all that hard work. He can still be struck down by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. The 2022 term saw a series of unusually aggressive decisions handed down by what legal scholars and journalists have called the YOLO court. These decisions touched on nearly every aspect of American life and shook up the court's usual adherence to prior decisions in interpreting new law. That is one of the main things I've heard from Legal scholars, uh, there's a, a professor, dean of the UC Berkeley School of Law named Edwin Chemerinsky, and he wrote my con law book. Like He's one of those that like his word is pretty much gold in constitutional law interpretation, and as well as just the journalists that for 30 years have covered the Supreme Court. And they're like, we don't know what to what. <laughs> they're like, this is never territory. Yeah. And Chief Justice John Roberts in the Dobbs dissent, which we'll get to, even said like he's – it's he's kind of been the leader of the conservative part of the Supreme Court. And this term has showed he has lost control. There's so many headlines out there that have been like Chief Justice Roberts has lost control of his court because he said, I would have done this. Y'all ignored me. Y'all ignored precedent. Y'all ignored how you're supposed to do it. He still voted with them. It's a concurrence. But he basically said in his concurrence, 
I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm not in charge anymore. How do they get appointed by the president? Like, what does the president look for or what kind of qualifications do you have to have in order to even be considered? Ideally, you would have somebody who had a very long career as a appellate judge, at the very least a trial judge. Ideally, you would have somebody that has a background in trying cases, that has tried many, many cases. So a lawyer. You, yeah, you have to be a lawyer. So you have to be a lawyer before you can be a Supreme Court justice? Yes, that's very important. Uh, basically, the president has to submit nominations to the Senate. The Senate gives its advice and consent. That's when you see these hearings. You have the memes of Brett Kavanaugh just like sobbing, mm -hmm. uh, talking about that he likes beer and stuff like that. <laughs> and you have these questions that get asked by senators that clarify, you know, do you what, how would you rule on this? How would you rule on that? The problem with those things are that those questions are. You're really not supposed to say fully how you would rule because then that would tempt litigants to come to the court with the question knowing that right. they would have your vote essentially. So the text, if you read like the transcripts of the confirmation hearings for the most recent Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, for those Trump appointees, they very much danced around what they would do if faced with overturning Roe v. Wade because – and they would use that excuse but at – at the same time, Donald Trump campaigned saying, I will nominate anti-choice, anti-abortion judges. He just said it. He mm -hmm. said, here's my list. They're all already – they already said they're anti-abortion, so we're good to go. And so that was a really unusually difficult problem for the Senate, asking these questions, trying to w know how to vote. And frankly, after this decision came out in Dobbs, the senators, especially the Democratic senators that had voted for their confirmations, felt duped and were pissed off and kind of like – Really? Because you said to my face that it was settled law and then you went and changed your mind. Yeah, it's it's truly unprecedented. And um, if even legal scholars are shocked and don't know how to handle this, then for just the everyday person, it's it can be very overwhelming, which I know that I have felt. Oh, for sure. And I think the what they're saying is this is such a departure and such a way to erode the public trust in the institution that it may require a complete overhaul of the institution, which is then why you see an extremist YOLO court that they're calling it passing things as quickly and as aggressively as they can instead of coming in and saying, OK, well, we'll chip away at this right to the abortion like several times over. It was just like. We got to do it now because we might not have this job. Like we might get term limits. We might get swapped in for some, you know, mm -hmm. it's just do what you can as much as you can as fast as you can, which is extremely aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Sinister Hood will be right back. In Vega versus Teco, the court decided that a person cannot sue a police officer under federal civil rights laws for violating their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination by failing to provide a Miranda warning. In response to the decision, senior staff attorney with the ACLU, Brett Max Kaufman, wrote, The warnings mandated by the Supreme Court in Miranda have been part of the fabric of law enforcement interactions with the public for more than 60 years. By denying people whose rights are violated the ability to seek redress under our country's most important civil rights statute, the court further widens the gap between the guarantees found in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the people's ability to hold government officials accountable for violating them. So this one's a pretty huge one. Um, 
basically, this is an instance where someone was failed to be. There's some argument about when they should have been Mirandized. And the defendant in the criminal suit said, you should have Mirandized me before you questioned me. So that's we hear that on law and order. Right. You have Mm -hmm. the right to remain silent. What is that on 21 Jump Street? You have the right to be an attorney. (laughs) You do have that right. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we've all kind of memorized it. And that came about from this case in the 70s called it's the Miranda decision, because that's one of the names at the top of the you know, verses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the Supreme Court said we all have this right against Fifth Amendment. Uh, the we don't have to incriminate ourselves. So you say I plead the fifth or whatever. Well, Miranda was this prophylactic, right? It's supposed to keep you from accidentally incriminating yourself by saying everybody is, is entitled to know their rights. Well, what the court did in this Vega decision, which I think is what's scary, is that they said that's not a constitutional right. Getting a Miranda warning is not a constitutional right. That's a made up thing that the Supreme Court made up back in the day. So you can't sue on that because the suit that this defendant wanted to file is a 1983 suit. And that's a federal statute that lets you sue the government for violating your civil rights. And so he said, y'all didn't read me my Miranda warning. I want to sue you. And what the state said and and the Supreme Court agreed said, well, not reading someone's Miranda right isn't a violation of their civil rights, which – Hard disagree. Cause but haven't been a- people been suing for that for decades and, and that has been allowed? And that's why everyone's kind of up in arms because they said, so you're now saying what this Supreme Court has said, this conservative supermajority said, being Mirandized is no longer a civil right. And so scholars have said this is teeing up another case. So in this one, they said, OK, Miranda warnings aren't a constitutional right that you can sue for under this federal civil rights statute. And it seems like they're waiting for another case that they could say that maybe somebody wasn't Mirandized and they were interrogated and then locked up and, you know, you want to try to free them, you know, on an innocence claim or whatever. You would say, well, under Vega in 2022, it's not a constitutional right. So we also decide that nobody needs Miranda warnings anymore. We don't have to give Miranda warnings anymore and overturn it for good. Or they may say, yeah, you have a Miranda right, but it doesn't have to be given. Or if it's not given, there's really no consequences. In which case, what what right do we have if you don't have a scheme under which you can enforce the right? You know, either ask for compensation or ask to be let out of jail. You know, have an interrogation thrown out because you weren't Mirandized. So while on the face, it's just like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. They're just saying you can't sue for a civil rights violation if you're not Mirandized. The bigger deal is what this is now teed up for a future court if it stays the same, if this makeup stays the same, a future case to say, well, nobody has to be Mirandized. We don't need this anymore. And this, again, decades old law that we're all used to, we've all built our lives around it. So many episodes of Law and Order would be ruined. <laughs> Fucking ruined. Mm-hmm. But seriously, I think it's a really important legal yeah prophylactic that we have to keep people from incriminating themselves to just go yeah well it's we don't think it's it's not a constitutional right anymore am i wrong in drawing the conclusion that these types of changes target marginalized communities and impoverished communities and people that may not know you know we we're talking about law and order jokingly but yeah i mean like we most of us know like we're supposed to be read our rights, but we might not all know exactly what those rights were until you hear it, especially if you've just been arrested and tensions are high and your brain's all over the place. You could just say something without even thinking about it. If you're reminded like you have the right to remain silent, then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. But if that's taken away and people don't know 
the law. They don't mm-hmm. really, they don't know like, oh, I don't have to do that. Well, guess what? Now you've just got people incriminating themselves left and right. Wrongful convictions go up. Uh, all sorts of hellacious stuff. No, you're absolutely right. I think the people that need it the most are the people that are going to be faced with this situation the most often. That, mm-hmm. Then that's why when the Miranda decision came out, it came out as it did, that these are a certain set of things. You need to say these. And if you say these magic words, then whatever you do after that, then that can be admitted in court and everything. It's just a, a nice little framework that was set up that we should have followed that they just said, no, we don't no, not anymore. So obviously – we can draw our own conclusions as to why they may do something like this. They're not going to admit what I just said. So when challenged, what is the like um, answer they give that's been approved that like this is this is why we say we're doing it because it's really going to help us or whatever spin they put on it? You just mean what are their – they don't have to explain themselves, so they don't they don't really explain themselves. I mean if you read the opinion, they make stuff up. You'll see what we've seen before is at least with some sense of clarity framework that they set up, that they say, this case, here were the facts. We think going forward, if – the case meets these certain check marks. You know, they may say this is a, a type of test we're going to do for determining whether something is a civil right. They'll they'll put a test out. These cases that they put in, and we're about to talk about another one with the Environmental Protection Agency, they don't really define stuff like they used to. So in short, they basically said, fuck you. That's why it's called the YOLO court. Alito said in the Dobbs decision, we don't give a shit what the public says. I mean, he didn't say that, but he just said, like, we're not beholden to y'all. We don't care. This is what we have decided. Tough titties. Like, Who are they beholden to if not the public? That's a good question. They are. Behold- I think they are beholden to us. I think they're beholden to. They're, they're- well, they think they're not because they're not elected. If they yeah. were elected, I think they'd feel like they were more beholden to us and give a shit more. And the idea is that you're not supposed to get in there and do do what you feel. You're supposed to get in there and follow these patterns of judicial interpretation that have been long held in this, again, once venerated institution. where Because for a while, the Supreme Court... Back in the 1800s, people were like, this court is they, – they have no power. They're idiots. They're not even doing anything. And they really had to build through these decisions and this framework. Like we're a legitimate branch of the government. And what you see and what I think John Roberts' dissent in Dobbs said was like, hey, man, we worked really hard to yeah. get a good reputation. And you guys just shit all over it. And Samuel Alito said, I don't give a fuck. He's just like, this is – you know what? This is my legacy. He was – he wanted to – overturn Roe v. Wade. He wants to push this conservative agenda, sadly. This is my legacy as a man that women and those with uteruses can no longer have autonomy over their bodies and are going to be forced to uh, die at the hands of of my hubris and ignorance. Yeah. And in, in many of these cases, they've just gone through. And the word that I heard one legal scholar use on the Vega case was that Miranda has been eviscerated, that we've all kind of come to rely on. We have these protections and to just watch the court go, well, not anymore. You don't. You're like, oh, why are you so happy to take yeah. my rights away? No, it's and bizarre. it really does seem it's like they bizarre. are happy to take. our. And I mean, I personally think that they are happy to take them away mm-hmm. because they you know i'm sure that they believe what they are are touting i think more so though like you said they want to leave these legacies that change the law books that change everything or just you know they're in bed with whoever appointed them so they got to make good on whatever their politics are yeah and that's the issue is that 
some people wonder, you know, if as much as they said in their confirmation hearings, oh, I'm here to uphold the law. I'm not here. If it was, you know, you're having a meeting with the president and they say, are you going to do this or are you not going to do this? And you go, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. You know, and you Mm -hmm. say like, I feel like I'm uh, pressured into doing it. And well, I think we can talk more about that when we get down to Dobbs, but that it does seem to be the case that it is very much more agenda based and you can, before with the Supreme Court, you could predict opinion and outcome based on precedent, and now you can predict opinion and outcome based on ideology, and that sh- shouldn't be the case. Yeah, yeah. The court also brought in protections for teacher-led prayer in schools, gutted the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to enforce climate change regulations, and expanded gun rights. The decision in Oklahoma versus Castro Huerta eroded Native American tribal sovereignty, ruling that... The federal government and the state have concurrent jurisdiction to prosecute crimes committed by non-Indians against Indians in Indian country. President of the National Congress of American Indians. President of the National Congress of American Indians, Vaughn Sharp, released a statement on the ruling, saying, The Supreme Court's decision is an attack on tribal sovereignty and the hard-fought progress of our ancestors to exercise our inherent sovereignty over our own territories. And all of these cases, I mean, this would be five hours long if we went through every single case. I think we're going to try to focus on the ones that we got the most questions on. But even as far as something like the EPA case, they just said the EPA can't regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. And it's like, well, who? but who can't? <laughs> and they said, well, they really don't have the authority. Uh, and then they made up a fake thing where they go, well, it has to be a major question and the statute has to be sufficiently specific. Well, normally what they would write is a major question is blank and give you a definition and sufficiently specific legislation is blank. And they would give you some guidance as as they did now. They just said, well, uh, Congress is the one that passes laws, not agencies. So the EPA uh, absent absolute direct line-by-line instructions in a statute, the EPA has no power. Well, what that's done is that, I don't know, the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Drug Administration, the uh, Securities Exchange Commission, all these agencies whose job is to take congressional law, interpret it, and then create rules to enforce it, the Supreme Court's just gone, well, unless it says in the statute you're allowed to do that, you're not allowed to do that. And so this is seen by scholars as a pro-business anti-regulatory way to it's it's like hey you hear me mm-hmm. you hear me guys yeah start suing start suing because guess what that's not in the statute come on down so they've opened the door and the conservatives say you know follow the text it's uh, you look what's in the text the text here does give the epa authority but then john roberts said well but who's a conservative justice he said well, the authority, but you know like specifically what authority and it's like well what is that going to look like and he's like i don't know Figured. We always say, like, follow the trail. Like, who who stands to benefit from these types of things? And yeah. in this case, you're actually absolutely right. It's big business and people that donate a ton of money to um, the causes and campaigns that these justices are a part of. Yeah, and like like you said, it's hard to watch because you're like, this is we could have easily predicted this based on prior precedent and now it's not it's just made up yeah (laughs) you're like well what does that mean well i don't know i guess we'll figure it out and you're like we don't want to figure it out (laughs) we need a test 
So yeah, this was a session of line them up, knock them down because they did religion. You know, they're saying now a uh, football coach has a religious freedom to pray on the 50-yard line. So we're saying fuck separation of church and state. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. And they said that the uh, history of gun regulation, that they're, you know, oh, we really shouldn't have any regulation on guns whatsoever. Yeah, because we we're doing it great up. with guns in the U.S. We're doing oh, so great. So great. But ask yourself this. They said this is a, a right, and because it's a right, the states have no business regulating it. However, when we get to the abortion decision, mm-hmm. they go, this is not a right, and now the states can just do whatever they want to do. So it's wild to see what – and I, I will fight anybody who wants to argue with me whether or not abortion is protecting the Constitution. I think it is, and we'll get to it. But when you see two different constitutional rights, you now see this bifurcation of some rights, like religion and guns, according to this court, are sacrosanct. There's absolutely no legislation at the state level can be passed. And then other rights, which are just as much in the Constitution, are not like are no longer protectable. And you have these two classes of rights where like super duper rights and then like rights, but not really Miranda. I don't know. What's that? It's like, well, that derives from the Fifth Amendment if you want to go straight from the Bill of Rights. So you're saying that guns have more rights than people with uteruses. Uh, according to this court, the yeah. decisions that came There's down this court. Not yeah. you. They're saying this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they and it it's a very bizarre uh, bit of legal reasoning because they say, oh well, it's a really originalism. So the meaning of the constitutional provision is fixed when it's adopted. So it means the same thing in 2022 as it did in 1791 or when the Bill of Rights were adopted or in 1868 when the 14th Amendment was adopted. And it's like, we just have to look at history. And so that's, you know, if you look at history, it's like, no, that's... I think we've... You look at history so you don't repeat it and you learn from it and you grow. If we're all going to go back to how things were done in the 1800s, then what has the past centuries been for? Yeah. And you have to look at when you, you, again, down to politics aside, if you go like straight down to the reasoning... They're, it's extremely flawed, and it's to the point where, like, some people that believe in the outcome are like, "But I can't really explain the reasoning because, in two thousand eight, the the court said, well, you know, I know the two thousand the Second Amendment says a rel- well regulated uh, militia. Justice Scalia went on this whole thing about a comma and how that's not really the same, and so because of that comma, you can separate that out, and so the Second Amendment actually means the right to defend yourself in your house." But it just doesn't say that. So my thing is, is the Constitution's a living document. I mean, they that's that's uh, well argued. Some people like to say, well, no, it's not. But in Chief Justice John Marshall in 1819 wrote in McCullough versus Maryland, the Constitution we're expounding on is intended to endure for ages to come and consequently to be adapted to the various crises of human affairs. I mean, he said that in 1819. Yeah. And that was the That's beginning of progressive kind of, for uh, someone in 1819 to say well, too, ab- to, see, to totally- look ahead to the future like that. Absolutely. And I think that's when the court started to uh, engender some uh, legitimacy that people said, oh, yeah, it does need to adapt and change. But, you know, if they say, "Okay, well, we look at history, but do they only look at history from 1891 or 1868? And when you do that, you see these opinions coming down that the reasoning is so tenuous to say, well, we look at uh, we look at history. Well, if you look at history, there were no bullets back in 1791. Mm -hmm. You know, like the weapons were very different. And from Aaron Chemerinsky said on this panel, he said from 1791 to 2008, not one federal, state or local law that regulated guns was found unconstitutional. But suddenly in 2008, 
they're like, well, but this uh, District of Columbia law is uh, unconstitutional. And now in 2022, building off of that, and now this New York law is unconstitutional. And we think that the states have no business regulating guns. It's wild. In Shin versus Ramirez, the court held that federal courts cannot consider evidence of ineffective trial lawyering if that evidence was not first presented to a state court. Barry Jones is on death row in Arizona. He's accused of murdering his girlfriend's daughter, but has maintained his innocence from the start. His conviction was overturned in 2018 based on ineffective assistance of counsel. The state of Arizona fought the appeals decision and argued that Jones's innocence was not enough to throw out his conviction. In total, four federal judges determined that Barry Jones was wrongfully convicted. When the case came before the Supreme Court, the conservative majority of justices voted 6-3 to three in agreement with the state of Arizona. Despite the preponderance of evidence that Jones is innocent, the court's decision means that the state of Arizona can still execute him. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in the majority opinion that allowing additional review of exoneration evidence imposes significant costs. On the justice system. Well, okay. So you're basically saying, saying, well, yeah, you're innocent, but it's too it's too expensive to prove that. So here's a needle filled with shit. We're going to inject into you. Yeah, and it's also a very catch twenty two because the argument is, if something went wrong at the state level and you don't have evidence of it until later on, federal public defenders or a federal appellate attorney looks at it and goes, oh, wow, they really missed this thing they should attest or they really missed it. He's now saying, too bad. It's too late. Well, like you say, it should always be from the date of discovery. That's my argument. So therefore, if, you know, it's there's no uh, statute of limitations because it starts when you discover it, even if you discover it 20 years later. And and you just hear like it's hard. Be, it's hard being a death row, uh, you know, a public defender at the state level. You're overwhelmed. We've seen in, in several cases we've covered where they're like, I couldn't send anybody out to do the research. I'm sorry. And it's not till later when either federal defenders get involved or innocence, uh, you know, exoneration organizations like the Innocence Project get involved. that They go, OK, well, we have the resources to look into this. And we found these issues. And Clarence Thomas said, but to go back and look at it just costs so much. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. kill them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really as if human lives don't matter to them. It's just it's just numbers on a paper. You're just put it's just chess. You're just moving pawns around to see how how to work. No one is a real person. Mm-hmm. It's all just, you know, numbers. It's dehumanizing. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely dehumanizing mm-hmm. to to look at a life and say it just imposes too many costs. Mm-hmm. This decision directly impacts defendants' constitutional right to counsel. In the dissent, Justice Sotomayor wrote, This decision is perverse. It is illogical. The court's decision will leave many people who were convicted in violation of the Sixth Amendment to face incarceration or even execution without any meaningful chance to vindicate their right to counsel. Christina Swarns, the executive director of the Innocence Project, issued a statement in the wake of the decision that read in part, There's no doubt that by stripping back people's constitutional rights to effective counsel, this decision increases the risks of wrongful conviction and sentencing innocent people to death. My argument is, if you want to say this, 
then absolutely you have to abolish the death penalty. You can mm. either say we're really, really sure that this person did it and we're going to execute him, or you say we don't know, but we're not going to kill him. My thing is, you you have to choose one or the other. And I apologize, my voice wavered when I was reading. So did my Earth's descent because this one really gets me. It's 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 incredibly fucked up, and it again goes back to it's targeting marginalized communities which i mean there's a million studies and statistics that show who demographically who are most likely to be in prison and on death row and so you're saying well you know it's a black man and he's poor and who really cares so if he's gone like okay nobody's really going to put up a fuss about it and it's going to cost us millions to try and save him so whatever uh, and that's the case. And it's it, it is it's a lot of times low income people because these are court appointed counsel. Barry Jones happens to be white, but we've covered Clemente Aguirre. I mean, we've covered cases where people were railroaded because of language barriers or because mm-hmm. of financial barriers. And like they don't even need to be Mirandized anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Imagine not only is English not your first language, but you're not even read your rights in any mm-hmm. language. And so now you're just like, what am I even here for? What? I need a lawyer? I don't know how to ask for one. I mean, it's it's almost as if they want um, a, a singular uh, type of person to rule the land. Yeah, well, especially if you go to originalism and you go, what is a what is these what did these rights mean in 1791 or 1868? And it meant wealthy white male landowners. It just did. Mm-hmm. I'm not being political, but if you look at how who it was, was in charge, yeah, in 1791, that's who was in charge. Mm-hmm. And so if you say, well, we want to we want it to match that, I don't because I'm not that. Well, could you argue maybe that's what "Make America Great Again" means? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other discussion yeah. of, like, dog whistle, what that truly means, the Reagan administration, and he's responsible for a lot of this, Ronald Reagan. Is, and was but... it ever great? It was great no. for some people. It was great for rich white men. But yeah. for people like us in, you know, uh, marginalized communities and POCs, it, it hasn't been great. We're trying to make it great. And then just when we think, oh, we got a bit of a win – they, it's just like the rug gets pulled out from under you, and you're like, we just took a hundred steps backwards. Mm-hmm. And sadly, legal scholars have been predicting this. Have been saying, if we fail on these points and this, you know, kind of this chess game, we lose this chess game, and we end up with this conservative supermajority, and with the weakened Congress that we have, and then the tenuous grasp, you know, of majority that we'll see going into the midterms, like we're powerless to stop mm-hmm. them. Or mm-hmm. are we? We'll get to so what do we think? <laughs> but, you know, in in regards to term limits, it's so disheartening to see, like, well, until Clarence Thomas literally dies, we mm-hmm. have to put up with his bullshit. But if there's term limits, you could think, well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And we all know we just have to make it to this date. And then hopefully we get the right person in office and then they appoint someone that's better for the next four years or whatever their term is. Or we have 30 different justices that see cases mm-hmm. on rotating bases, and so it's not just happens to be this majority. So it's written that there should only be nine currently? It's not written how many there should be at all. So how have people not appointed more? Because is am I right now, it's when someone dies is when a new one gets appointed. So when RBG died, a new one was appointed – and everyone knows, like, okay, well, this is probably who's going to be nominated, blah, blah, blah. But what has stopped any president then from 
nominating a ton of them to to court pack or whatever. Well, and that's what that's the exact term for it. I mean, the Constitution grants Congress the power to determine how many justices sit on the Supreme Court, and it's ranged between like five and ten. But since 1869, I think it has been set at nine. And that just kind of happened and no one ever said, well, let's do a 10. It's not like it's written somewhere that it has to be nine. Well, it's see, it's every time that happens, it it's very contentious. And so I think they don't undertake whatever branch of the government, whether it's Congress or the president pushing for that, they don't take it lightly. And so it's usually a big issue. Uh, and when you start to say, I'm going to add justices of the court, there's like this huge outcry. Um, but they changed the number of pre- of justices under, I believe it was Andrew Johnson, because Congress did not like Andrew Johnson, which we learned a lot about Andrew Johnson in Raleigh. We did. Like he was like shit hammered at his inauguration mm-hmm. and like was very unruly. And so Congress wanted to try to limit his power because he was like a loose cannon. And they decreased the number of SCOTUS justices from 10 to 7 so that he would not be able to... Uh, appoint anyone because they were afraid of who he would appoint and then they shrank i think they had from they went from eight back up to nine in 1969 or not, not 1869 um and that was the year they they took it back up to nine as soon as he was not president anymore wow. so like whoop. so that's so the almost like Congress. nothing matters and they just do whatever they want to benefit themselves whenever you know i mean congress was Pretty powerful back then. They're like kneecapped pretty badly now. But in FDR, during his presidency, proposed a bill to Congress that would allow the president to appoint a new justice for every justice that was 70 years old. Congress said no. And then he kind of got side eyed because they said, OK, Roosevelt's trying to pack the court to try to give himself more power. Um, he really wanted to push through the New Deal. And Supreme Court at the time was like, we're not going to like that won't survive judicial scrutiny and he kept you know he was running afoul of them so it looked kind of sus that he was trying to add people but it's not unheard of like you could try so because because something has always been done this way since the 1800s on this they're like well this is how it is but on on laws like roe v wade even though the precedent has been for 50 years that that was the right they have no problem overturning it. So they, they're cherry-picking what they want to hold on to as far as, like, tradition and law. It sounds like it. I mean, in the course, Supreme Court's the one who decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, and then Congress and or the president try to decide whether to add more justices. The issue with adding justices in the wake of something like this is that it might be seen as court-packing, which is this politically motivated thing, when in reality, I think it is re- it's re-legitimizing the court by adding more people and then dividing the power so it isn't that we live mm-hmm. in this six – literally, it's just six people because there's a majority. Six people mm-hmm. are deciding Everybody's aspects of fate. our lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you're not on the side of the six people, it really sucks because you're like, well, uh, we'll just have to wait until some of them die. Yeah. Which is not a – fun way to live what a morbid dark way to like try and grapple with something that's happened it's like well at least they'll be dead someday and then maybe we can have our rights back like who wants to live in a world where that's how it works well and if the founders which everybody loves to be like what do the founders think they literally left england because they didn't want a handful of people or one king to be in charge do you think they would be chill with it's like you know how you have the whole government? Fuck all that. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Six people. And they're like, who? What? No, 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 no. It was not meant to be that way. Six like, people well, that the public didn't even have any say in who was going to be elected. Mm-hmm. So it's 
it's like whatever his name was said, we don't work for John y'all. Marshall. Yeah, we don't work for y'all. Well, oh, no, sorry. Alito said that. Sorry. I thought you were going to say we have to interpret it into the now. That's John Marshall. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to wrap your head around and really understand and not feel just completely defeated. Mm-hmm. The power of the Supreme Court was particularly apparent on June 24th, 2022, when six of the nine justices handed down the decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which struck down 50 years of precedent established in the decision Roe v. Wade and eliminated the federal right to an abortion. In 2018, the Center for Reproductive Rights filed a lawsuit on behalf of Jackson Women's Health Organization, the last remaining abortion clinic in Mississippi. The state had passed a law banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. This law was unconstitutional under the 50 years of precedent. The 1973 case Roe v. Wade established abortion as a constitutional right derived under the 14th Amendment right to privacy. Later, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the court established a framework under which states could regulate abortion. In 2022, the Supreme Court heard the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, The majority opinion, written by Justice Samuel Alito and signed by all of the court's conservative justices, ruled that there is no constitutional right to an abortion, abandons the test from Casey and overturns Roe v. Wade. This decision was significant in that it was the first time in history that the Supreme Court has taken away a fundamental right. The dissent, written by Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, put it plainly. After today... Young women will come of age with fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers had. The majority accomplishes that result without so much as considering how women have relied on the right to choose or what it means to take that right away. I'm very emotional right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say the dissent in this case is beautifully written. It's written by three excellent, excellent jurists and absolutely takes into account what John Marshall said, that this is a a living thing that we need to consider the crises of humans when we're interpreting this document. And the majority, again, said, we don't care. This is what we want politically. This is why we got installed. (laughs) Bye. We don't care. They just said, we don't like it. We didn't like it. And they try to compare it to these prior cases where you had a case that was maybe, you know, they argue like Plessy v. Ferguson, it gets overturned. And, you know, that gave people the right. And it's all fine to overturn precedent. But you see that when you're expanding rights. What you saw here is overturning precedent to contract rights and to take away what is a fundamental right. And it's built on this set of precedents that are or set of protections in the Constitution under the 14th Amendment. And those came about during Reconstruction when you said, what does it mean to be free when you have this? Now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> but you have this influx of now newly freed former enslaved people. And you say, like, 
Well, you have the Bill of Rights. Well, that's meaningless because they were chattel under under the same document. And so when you have this 14th Amendment that says you have family autonomy, you have bodily autonomy, your children won't be sold away from you, your wives are and your husbands and wives and spouses aren't going to be separated from you. You get to have a family, you get to raise a family, you get to handle your body as you see fit, you get to marry who you love. And then from that, the 14th Amendment, we saw Loving versus Virginia. True freedom is being able to marry anyone of any race. You see Griswold, which is true freedom is being able, husbands and wives, spouses being able to determine what contraception that they use. It's, you know, liberty and freedom. You have Roe versus Wade. You get to determine if you have children, how many children you have, when you're going to have them. You have a Burgerfeld. You have a right to marry somebody of a different uh, sex. And if you take that away from abortion and you don't go, well, abortion's not in there. Well, yeah, but privacy and liberty in this right to control your life, these very private things in our lives that we don't want the government to control, that's in there. It absolutely is in there, and it was passed in 1868. It was this idea that this was a uh, a thing that is so closely held and so important to us that it then spawned all these other rights. And you have this – Samuel Alito goes, listen, okay, yeah, technically I'm shitting on the 14th Amendment, but it doesn't have to do with any of that. And then what many scholars have said, Thomas in his concurrence said the quiet part out loud and said, well, I think we should reconsider all these other cases. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a house of cards and it's um, – it's, I've always thought I, it's impossible for me to understand why anyone thinks that they have – the right to tell anyone what to do with their body in this manner. I've, st- I am staunchly, staunchly a pro-choice, and I always have been, and I will die on this hill. And it is horrifying to me to think that Ella could be to could grow up in a world where she has less rights than I did. I had an abortion in two thousand one, two thousand two. I was a senior in college. My partner at the time, we weren't ready for that. We, I, what it was not difficult as far as insofar as making an appointment and getting an abortion. I had four different clinics to choose from that I, you know, had to visit before one was decided upon, mainly because of insane protesters and people trying to deter, deter me from going in and, and other things that happened. When I, I've I've never once regretted my decision. I worried that when I eventually decided to have children that I might regret it. I never have. If I had not had the freedom and the right to choose, I would not have the life I have now. I wouldn't have Ella. I wouldn't have Simon. I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any of this. Mm-hmm. If someone had forced me to have a baby back then, my whole entire life would be different. And I'm so grateful that I was able to seek that out. And it was my medical right to make that decision and do that. And who is it for anybody to tell someone that they have to go through the trauma of being pregnant, the ups and downs, have a child, then what, if they don't want them, they end up in the foster system, they end up abandoned or worse. Like it's, Abortion is healthcare, and by taking that right away from people, so many other problems, literally life and death problems, are going to occur. And then it's this slippery slope where we've taken this away. Well, guess what? Now uh, you're 
a homosexual couple, sorry, you can't get married. Oh, you, um, you're black, he's white. Guess what? Your marriage is no longer, uh, considered legal in the court of the law. Like where, what kind of world are we headed towards? Uh, thank you, first of all, for sharing that. That's, I think, a extremely, extremely private thing. And I think it takes a lot of vulnerability to share that. And thank you for sharing it. And I think... Well, I want to... De- I'm happy to share it because yeah. I want to destigmatize the mm-hmm. the conversation around abortion. And there are so many women and people with uteruses that have gone through this. And everyone is... So many people feel shame. And like... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ces- Cecily Strong, when she was on SNL last year, her whole cl- uh, clown monologue on Weekend Update went viral. It was incredible. That's exactly right. Like, until you start talking about it and then you're like, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. Because mm-hmm. we've been taught to sweep it under the rug and not talk about it because it's shameful and you're a murderer. You're a baby killer. You, you hate children. No, you love yourself and you Mm -hmm. love your life and maybe you want something different. And it's the responsible and smart decision to not take on something that you are not prepared for. And people want to argue, well, then you shouldn't be having sex. What the fuck ever. Everyone's going to have sex. Accidents happen. You could use all the protection. You could use no protection. If you want to never use any protection and you get pregnant, it still should be your right to not have to have a baby because of that. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, all that to say, it's not that it anybody should be ashamed of it, but it should also like that. It's a very intimate, personal choice that we make of what kind of birth control we use, yeah. what kind of healthcare decisions we make with our doctor. And it's between you, your doctor and God. And I think what we had, the framework we had under Roe, which was the because it started Roe versus Wade started with this trimester based decision. And then in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, they said, you know, that doesn't really apply here uh, medically and for other reasons. Uh, they had this whole argument of like pre-viability versus post-viability, and they balance these interests. But the opportunity arose to overturn Roe v. Wade in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and the three Republican-appointed justices didn't do that. They upheld Roe, even though they were not, I'm sure, ideological fans of that, just based on their you know past comments and decisions. But they had a bigger issue. They were a bigger concern with people have built their lives around this framework. They understand that this is how their lives are, and they've been living their lives in it. And our job as justices is to interpret it, maintain the reputation of the court and put the reputation of the court, put the interests of the American people and put the precedent that we've established insofar as it has given a right before our own beliefs. And this current court did the opposite. Yeah. Otherwise, it's an abuse of power and a miscarriage of justice to come in and just be like, fuck everything that happened before us. And it also sullies the good name of the Supreme Court and everything that was built upon it. And you become a laughingstock to Americans and other countries. 100 percent. And also to your point, too, you should have this right to choose your own medical care in a especially in a state like Mississippi, which I believe is 49th in maternal mortality. So until we have a, a, a country where it's safe to have a kid, yeah. you need that ability to, you know, or an infant mortality rate super high. And so I think our laws need to be more in line with and also the plurality, because under Planned Parenthood v. Casey, you still balance the idea of a viable fetus versus a non-viable fetus. And so you have 
had this balancing test of not putting undue burdens on the mother. And so when we live in this pluralistic society, which we do because there's a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions and beliefs and stuff, you can't just swing all the way to one way or all the way to the other way. I mean, you balance this test and we had created under Planned Parenthood v. Casey this balancing test, right, of like no undue burden. And there. so anyway, so we had this situation and what Samuel Alito said was – it's not a right because it's not written in the Constitution. He used the term deeply rooted. He has this whole idea that something has to be deeply rooted in the, in, the, in our history. And the dissent says, you mean like okay, sexism, misogyny and racism and homophobia. I mean, that's pretty much. But he says, oh, well, abortion's not really deeply rooted. If you look at this guy from back in the day, he said this thing and a, a constitutional law scholar said that guy thought witches should be burned. Right. Maybe also, we don't it was listen. a guy. So maybe we fuck off. Yeah, but it was like he's like way off and abortions were not safe up until probably the 70s right. whenever you saw this uh, evolution. And, and it's interesting if you want to get into the the political evolution of how this became sort of this bargaining chip and this uh, way to get votes for the more conservative side. And it wasn't really an issue before that, before really like 1970, 70, 72, Nixon started using it. And anyway, so I think when you see people's lives and bodily autonomy and this fundamental right to privacy and freedom and liberty we have for making choices for ourselves being used kind of as a political pawn. It's gross. It's very and then gross. this test that Alito came up with is just stupid because the dissent said, OK, well, Loving versus Virginia was not deeply rooted in history. Mm-hmm. Interracial marriage really wasn't until the 50s, like kind of even OK. And then for a little bit after that. So you so if, in that case, you want to take that out. And he's like, oh, well, no, like that's not what I meant. This is only about abortion. And then in the, the concurrence, Thomas goes, it's about other stuff, too. You're yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah. 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 It's very um, dehumanizing and upsetting to know that your government thinks more about some cells than you, that you yeah. as a person, a fully formed person that is alive and breathing has less rights than some some cells. And the most aggressive ones, it's like six weeks. That's it. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people know they're pregnant at six weeks? Not a lot. No, unless you are actively trying to get pregnant, there's a very, very good chance that you have no idea until you've missed a period, you know, and that could be however long. So you might be 10, 12 weeks along before you even know anything's going on. And then you're like, well, fuck, I wish I had a time machine because how Mm -hmm. was I supposed to know? So now what? Or is everyone supposed to constantly be taking pregnancy tests just to see, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's exhausting and it's not any way we should have to live, especially like you said, when for decades it's been the other way and now you're asking everyone that's formed their whole lives around this is how we do things this is the Mm -hmm. world we live in to now it's like oh sorry just kidding we're we're not living like that anymore yeah and that's that's exactly what happened nor nor you have the starry decisis where they say the law is the law we follow precedent and if we're going to overturn precedent it is to expand rights and what you saw here was they took away this 50-year right that is, I believe, enshrined in the Constitution. And again, they say, well, we look at history and use that as a way to kind of try to justify it. But I don't give a shit about history because I yeah. live now. Like, yeah. it's 2022. Also, history and I think, had a lot of fucked up stuff that we don't yeah. want to repeat. 
For sure. Well, and, and because it's not workable anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the what what the world looked like even 20, 30 years ago is vastly different now, especially regards to like safety and things, you know, of safety of the procedures and things like that. And so I think it's absolutely if you want to be pregnant, you should have that right. But you should also not be forced to do something uh, because that's not a true choice either, even if you do have a right to abortion, because we don't have, uh, you know, health care prenatal health care. We don't have time off. We don't have child care. We don't have a lot of shit that would create this framework that if you got pregnant and your choice is either have an abortion or have a baby and be like horribly impoverished and your life is ruined, that's also not a choice. And the you- baby's life is ruined too. They're not going to grow up in a good environment. Yeah, because unlike a lot of countries, we don't have universal health care. Our health care yeah. is all based on income and all sorts of shit that once again, all marginalized and impoverished communities are the ones that suffer. And exactly. And so if you're uh, an extremely impoverished person and you get pregnant, even if, you know, let's pretend Dobbs never happened, even if you did or you live in a state where you you have access to reproductive health care, if that's your choice of like my life will be ruined or I get an abortion, then I think also we should give a shit about that. Like we should mm-hmm. say you have that option or you should you could have a baby. We'll send you was it Finland that they send you a lovely box and they take care of your health care wow. appointments. You get I a box. I think they may has, also be the ones that you get a two year maternity leave. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like truly you then you really do care about fostering yes. kids. And I think in that case you would see a huge lack of a huge reduction in actual abortions performed if you both said you have this option or you can have a baby and Mm -hmm. it won't be too bad because look Mm -hmm. at all the stuff you get you're gonna have Um, all this support yeah yeah absolutely because the right to abortion stemmed from prior decisions under the fundamental right to privacy many were concerned that those other rights would be implicated justice clarence thomas wrote in his concurring opinion We should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Thomas overtly questioned these rights, though he conveniently left out Loving v. Virginia, the case that legalized interracial marriage. He is uh, Justice Thomas, if you're not aware, is black, and his wife Jenny is white. Well, look how that worked out. The Dobbs decision removed the constitutional protection to an abortion and left the decision of regulation of reproductive health care up to the states. In the wake of the decision, there were many calls for Congress to, quote, codify Roe, meaning pass a federal law legalizing abortion. However, the Constitution reserves all powers not delegated to the federal government to the states. Federal lawmakers have gotten around that in the past by claiming certain acts affect interstate commerce, as that is a power specifically delegated to the government. Many legal scholars have said the connection between abortion and interstate commerce is too tenuous making a law codifying Roe unconstitutional and unable to survive scrutiny by the court. Similarly, a federal ban on abortions would not survive for the same reasons. Can you break this down for me? So we have, I think for people that don't live in the States too, it's not, it's kind of confusing. So we have the federal government, big daddy government, big mama government, and then we have each state has their own government. And the Constitution says the federal government can do these things. And there was a whole big fight between the founders of people who liked federalism and people who didn't like federal. They wanted a strong federal government or a weaker federal government. They wanted more states' rights. And, you know, you hear in the Civil War when they go, it's yeah. about states' rights. Mm-hmm. The states' rights to what? To own people, right? Yeah. And so you have this tradition of the states' rights are normally folks that maybe want uh, stronger uh, bans on abortion or uh, the right to own people, all that kind of stuff. Lenient, and then lenient. Pe- gun laws. 
And when you see the Constitution and the federal government says, listen, we want to have these bare minimum guardrails to make sure that everybody, no matter what state you're living in, you shouldn't have to flee your state to be free. Like you should – certain rights are so fundamental. Everybody in every state should have the same right. And so the only thing the federal government can do is regulate what is set out for it in the Constitution, which includes interstate commerce. And anything that it's not specifically said that Congress can do, the states get to do. And so the issue is – it does not say that the federal government can regulate like health care. And this is part of why like Obamacare was really tenuous because does, can the federal government make a health care law because the Constitution doesn't say they can? It would take an amendment. And so similarly, if the federal government wants to come in and pass this, you know, uh, codifying row, you know, a bill that says everybody has the, the right to the abortion, uh, they don't have the authority to do that is the argument. The flip side is if a more conservative majority tried to say nobody anywhere can get an abortion, not even in states where it's legal, that would fail similarly because just Congress just doesn't have the authority to get into that law, that type of lawmaking. So as it stands now, depending on where you live, you may have to travel to another state if you were seeking an abortion. And I, when, you know, when all this came out, you saw a million tweets and Facebook posts and everything of, if you need to go camping in California, I'm here and all of that, which the message behind that is one of support and compassion. Can you explain, though, what the problems with doing things like that? It's super like you said, the, the meaning behind it is great. Yeah. In effect, you're a good person posting that. But what is to stop an anti-choice person from posting something like that and luring a person into their home? And so you have these uh, the National Network of Abortion Funds or state specific, you know, Texas has the Texas Equal, uh, yeah, the T Fund, um, where they'll help you find a person that can host you camping in another state. And that person has been vetted and trained to handle when you get back, you know, care you might need aftercare, emotional aftercare, things like that, where I am if I there's an emergency and like I really, really need to do CPR on someone I can. But if there's a possibility to get him in the hospital, like, let's do that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's meant for that. And so the idea of saying, like, you can come camping with me. So nice. Maybe fine for a friend that you personally know. But it is you can see how it's risky for a stranger to just go, well, this lady on Facebook said she was cool. Um, But that's going to I think right now that's the solution for many people is having to fly to other states, which isn't. Which isn't feasible for a lot of people. Like, you know, when this happened, everyone that doesn't live in Texas and even some Texans, you know, were canceling, um, you know, concerts here or, uh, you know, artists and stuff or saying, I won't I'm not going to travel there because I don't want to give my money to them and stuff. Well, we live here and, you know, we shouldn't be punished for for something that we have nothing to do with. In fact, we're fighting against it. But it's and you know, so many people I heard, well, y'all should just move. A lot of people can't do that. They don't have the means to just pick up and move to another state. And even if they did, this is if this is their home and they don't want to do that, they shouldn't have to be put in that position where it's like, well, if you want rights, then you got to move to a more uh, you got to move up north. It's like, well, but I but I live here. I just want the same rights that they have down here. You'll pry my root beer and corny dogs from the state fair for my cold, dead hands. I'll never leave the state. And I'll be goddamned if I let some fucking militants take it over and make it an unsafe place for anybody with a uterus, for LGBT families, for people of color, for any of all my legal aid clients that I had mm-hmm. that couldn't move, that have these very restrictive laws that hurt them. I ain't leaving. Hell, motherfucking no. This is my state. Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, right now, you're right, though. Traveling, I think, is, is going to be one of the main ways that people can access it in states. And that's why abortion funds are important, because they can help facilitate that travel. Will that be made illegal by laws in the future? Possibly. States, Some states have floated that idea of making it illegal, either a criminal, probably not likely criminal, but possibly civil. You could get civilly uh, in trouble, you know, get civilly sued. Uh, and have to owe money if you help somebody get across mm-hmm. state lines. I mean, down to the point where journalists are like, okay, if we publish this, it like helps people. Could could you sue me? Like us? I wish you would yeah, sue me. Yeah, I'd fucking dare fucking you. Take your fucking ass dare out. you. <laughs> <laughs> Heather McKinney goes to the Supreme Court. <laughs> and Christy follows along. <laughs> this is my co-counsel, the Honorable Judge Christy. And they're like, what bench were you appointed to? And you're like, don't worry about that. I have a robe on. They're like, yeah, we wanted to talk about why do you have two gavels in the chambers, the Supreme Court chambers? We don't even have gavels. Well, that's your Ma'am. problem. That sounds like a you like, problem, not a me problem. <laughs> Sinisterhood will be right back. As we grapple with our new reality in the wake of these decisions, we also need to look ahead to next term. Here are a few of the cases on the court's docket for the next term that may have a widespread impact on our day-to-day lives. Issues like affirmative action, businesses discriminating against LGBTQ customers, and who controls elections are all on the agenda for the 2022-2023 term. Yeah, we. I mean, we're tight on time, but just the independent state legislature case is uh, one of the biggest ones that will impact voting rights and the allowance of extraordinarily gerrymandered districts uh, to like a case in Louisiana where they purposefully gathered all black voters in one district. I mean, where it's just obviously racially motivated gerrymandering and also the idea that the state legislature, the, the, you know, the elected state officials are the ones running federal elections. And if you look at a big, long list, a lot of them are 2020 election deniers. And those will be the people if this case is decided the way it likely will be. Again, you can now estimate decisions based on ideology rather than judicial review like it was in the past. So based on ideology, if it goes the way it likely will go, you will now see people who are overt loud election deniers now in charge. And when you have a possible person in office who calls a state uh, official and says, hey, can you find me 11,700 and however many votes, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and they're not uh, smart enough to record the call and tell somebody about it, but instead goes, yeah, sure. Uh, There's no oversight. There's no court. The courts basically can't touch that. And they say it's fully up to those state elected officials, which, again, is why state elections are very important. Absolutely. And the fact that affirmative action and discrimination against LGBT, I mean, they will likely uh, rule in favor. They'll likely get rid of affirmative action and likely get uh, rid of any sort of anti-discrimination. It's based on the Colorado discrimination law. And it's a, I believe it's a web designer that didn't want to include same-sex couples, you know, basically wanted to overtly say, I don't serve same-sex couples, um, which is in violation of this Colorado law and uh, likely will not be upheld. God damn. Regardless of political allegiance, leaving major decisions up to six individuals is no longer a viable option for Americans. On both sides of the aisle, there have been calls for court reform. That can take several shapes. Some advocates have called for a process called court packing. Some believe this means simply adding new justices. Court packing usually implies a political motivation. Adding justices without political motivation would be more accurately called court reform. The Constitution does not specify a number of justices to serve on the Supreme Court and instead simply vests power in the highest court in the land and such inferior courts as the Congress may establish from time to time. 
Therefore, more justices could be appointed, with some scholars like Columbia Law School professor Jamal Green suggesting having current federal appellate judges hearing cases on a rotating basis, so a single set of justices would not be responsible for every single case. Which I like this. It sounds kind of wacky when you say, I think we should have 28 Supreme Court justices, but why shouldn't we? Yeah, no. If you, I think you can find that many qualified people if you look For at, sure. especially if you look at federal appellate benches right now and just say we, it's randomized. It's a random makeup that gets, and, a and in that case, you got to all work together and mm-hmm. really say, it's not just like, you know, you're going to vote with me, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I am. Well, I think it would also speed things up. A lot mm-hmm. more would get done because you'd have a lot more eyes on stuff and, you know, things wouldn't get backed up for years and years. Yeah. In addition to adding additional justices, other legal scholars have suggested implementing term limits. Rather than lifetime appointments, SCOTUS justices would instead serve a period of 8 to 12 years on a staggered basis as determined by either Congress or a constitutional amendment. And that's the argument right now is that if Congress passes it, do they have the right under the Constitution to pass it since the Constitution says that they're appointed for life and serve under good behavior? And I think you see now a elect, you know, a population that goes, what the fuck? How do they have all this power? Mm-hmm. And we say, yeah, we would support that. But you see the people that are gripping so tightly onto power, like you said, look into who stands to benefit. And you see that the people that stand to benefit greatly from having this old ass, no longer viable institution are gripping so tightly to it. Mm -hmm. So we've been asked by a lot of listeners, like, how do we move forward from here? What do we do besides donate and vote? What can we do? Uh, I know so many of us feels like even when we do that, it doesn't matter. What would you say to that? Well, right now, because we see and can kind of see the train coming down the tracks with this independent state legislature doctrine that's on the books for next year, local elections have never been more important. So right now, the Supreme Court keeps handing power back to state legislatures and state executives. You know, Ken Paxton was like, if they let me, I'd I'd enforce a ban against sodomy as soon as I could. And Ken Paxton is a Texas attorney general. And I think he's, he's a felon, too. He's a criminal. He's done some <laughs> criminal stuff. Nevertheless, he's our attorney general. Stole a pen. It's like such a funny thing. There's this video on YouTube of Ken Paxton finding like a $1,000 Mont Blanc pen. And then instead of turning it in, he just keeps it, which just like tells you everything you mm-hmm. need to know about him. Mm-hmm. But we we have these these state level legislators who now are being handed all this power by the Supreme Court. And so what we, I think, can do in the short run is say we need to make sure that the people that are in power are representing what we, the people at our local level are representing what our values and beliefs are. And the real just keep your eyes open because this is the uh, every scholar I've listened to, read, watched in preparation for this have said this is the start of a new conservative revolution in the law that Dobbs and then Bruin, which is the gun regulation case, are totally different. They've laid the framework to erode more rights in the future. Like we said, with Miranda, it's kind of like teeing it up or this innocence case. It's teeing it up. And you really have to ask yourself, where can I help? Where can I participate? Because there's people that have been fighting this fight for decades, Mm -hmm. and they're probably pretty tired. They're still fighting, but they need as much help as they can get. They need, uh, wherever it's Viktor Frankl, I believe, was like, your man's search for meaning, like your meaning is to find where you can participate, like what your skill is and how you can help. And sometimes that is donating. Sometimes that's writing letters. That's block walking. There are things down to like your local DA, making sure you know who your state senators are, 
making sure you know who your state representatives are and and lobbying. And, and when you know that your state legislator doesn't really respond or doesn't really represent you, still reaching out to them and saying, like, I'm a voter. I'm aware of this. I'm here. I'm a voter. Um, and pushing the federal regulators to do something to protect voting rights, because I think we're going to start seeing them get more and more eroded when you have these purposefully gerrymandered areas. They have these like very complex algorithms that literally say, based on past voting history, how can we redraw a map? to retain power for the Republican Party. And then when they're in power, they draw those maps. This this is factual. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not like a conspiracy theory. They literally draw maps so that they all, always win, even though they don't ever win the popular vote. So it's really they're you're watching people in real time, like hack the system. And then what we see for next term with the independent state legislature is to have then that hack system be what our new reality is and to just go like, no, we don't want that. And so mm-hmm. pushing your federal representatives to pass complex voting rights initiatives, and then also just monitoring your state elections and being as active and as vocal as you can in state elections. Because I think that's now because we no longer have the rights, the blanket right protected at a federal level. Now it is more important than ever to making sure that you're doing what you can to have good people and like what Mm -hmm. seems like, you know, they get paid, what, 50 bucks and, you know, a pat on the back to be a state's uh, legislator. It's like, just make sure that you support the right people. It's also wild now that, like Dr. Oz, like people that don't even live in the states that they are running for office in, they take up residence for six months or whatever you have to be to live there in order to be able to run. But that's not their primary home. But the Republican Party is strategically, it's like Game of Thrones. It's Mm -hmm. like it's like a literal game of risk where they're just putting people around so they can have the majority control. And now it's like they're gaming the system so hard that these people don't represent you. They don't, they're not from there. They don't Where where is it? New Jersey. Is he doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, oh yeah. He's trying to, he's trying to run in Pennsylvania, but he yeah. really lives in New Jersey. Yeah. So he doesn't even, he's not even one of you, but he's, mm-hmm. he's trying to run for it because he thinks he can win there. And, and it's, you know, they need that, that uh, territory or whatever. So it's just, it's uh I don't even know. It's just it's it's a lot. Like you said, voting in your local elections, trying not to lose hope. Uh, I know a, a second year law student wrote in and said that they speak for a lot of law students who've lost faith in the system that they decided to take a career in and go to school. I mean, you you spent mm-hmm. tons of schooling and money to, to you know, money. in that field. So yeah. what do you, what can they do to make a difference and if people that have chosen that career path are so defeated that, you know, they, they're like questioning their, their decisions, what advice do you have for them? You're like, what even is the purpose anymore? I think it's important to understand that we are the next generation. Like you said, we're sitting around waiting for a bunch of olds to die or waiting for uh, the makeup of the court to change or waiting for court reform or something like that. And while you're waiting, I mean, being as paying attention in class, like your life and our lives and all of our rights depend on it and being able to outnumber and not outnumber, but out argue Mm -hmm. uh, people who want to manipulate the law. Like I said, I think we've seen now that originalism is has failed. Originalism is bullshit. And when you look at the majority of Americans, it does not comport with our way of life now if you went to 
1791 and you said, just so you know, we can talk to people through this computer. And by the way, a computer is this. And by the way, the Internet's this. And by the way, I mean, when you they're like, you're an alien. Fuck. (laughs) I mean, so when you understand that, like, life is just so absolutely different than it was back then, understanding that. As much as you can know about these cases, if you know it left, right, and center, front, back, and forward, and knowing and seeing how vastly it's changed, listening to experts who have said, like, this is unprecedented, that they've dropped precedent to have a right taken away, and getting jobs in public policy, in uh, nonprofits that, you know, like the Center for Reproductive Rights or any number of like a policy think tank, but basically all of these kind of more behind-the-scenes jobs that we've seen where you have ALEC, which is this organization that writes super conservative legislation and just feeds it to kind of dummy legislators and states. When you say, oh, I'm going to have one that's the opposite. You know, I'm going to have something that represents the will of the people or I want to get into voting rights law. And that's a whole nother separate area of the law, like understanding that, yeah, Listen, you know what pays the bills? Big ass corporate law. Let me just tell you. Mm-hmm. I quit that fucking rich ass job too <laughs> to do comedy, but also to like do this, right? Like be Well, I uh, think you're educating more people and I know for a fact that you have touched more people, not literally <laughs> by doing this. I'm a hugger. I, I don't know what you do. But because, you know, we hear all the time like that people are inspired by you and and that you uh, explain the laws so well and everything. So I don't think you have to go the path of the traditional lawyer to enact change. Yeah, either. no, no, no. I think non-lawyers can do absolutely yeah. do a lot of work too. And so that's what the Victor Frankel quote I was trying to think of earlier. I found it. He said, "Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therein he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Thus, Everyone's task is unique, as is his specific opportunity to implement it. So I love that. Soul searching, finding where you think. I think, like you said, storytelling, comedy. Mm -hmm. Victor Frank also said humor provides us with this aloofness that lets us rise above any situation, if only temporarily, you know, only Mm -hmm. a few seconds. But I think finding, you know, your place in life and where you can do the most good. And if that's being a lawyer, that's being a lawyer. If that's being an activist, a politician, I think more good people need to run for office. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single person, whether you're in law school or not in law school, it's really annoying, but you have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. You have to. You know, when you watch the evening news and they're like, oh, Congress did this. And you're like, eh, whatever, boring. Mm-hmm. Turn on King of Queens or whatever. Just leave it. King of, wow. DVR King of Queens. Is that even still on? <laughs> it's on reruns like every channel. <laughs> but, you know, whatever you want to watch, DVR. But you just need to pay attention. If you want to listen to like New York Times The Daily or like an NPR, mm-hmm. or, like listen to something that even if you want to listen to watch John Oliver, something that will condense it. And I also read The Wall Street Journal. I read Fox News. I like to read everything and see. Mm-hmm. You can see how things are being, how issues are being framed and st- and straying away from. Of course, don't read like the spam shit on the Internet. But, you know. Making sure you keep an eye on like what everybody across the political spectrum is reporting on and how it's being reported. The same type of uh, story across different uh, platforms and just mm-hmm. being informed. It's like homework for life. Like the like we can't just be like, well, once a year or once every four years, I vote for the president yeah. and that's it. It's like you have to get down to there is a primary runoff for the congressional district that you're in or for the state congressional district that you're in, and you just have to pay attention. And there's. I'll find some organizations and put them in the put them in the show notes. But where you can get you know, like email blasts and updates of mm-hmm. like, hey, this is an important race, um, and you know you can donate to races outside of where your 
you know, where you live at, if you have the means to do that or, you know, doing like virtual, uh, you know, texting or letter writing campaigns for other candidates. But I think the best thing you can do is always kind of in your own backyard. Yeah. And I know it's overwhelming. And especially when so many radical changes happen at once and you just feel depressed. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. very depressed when all this happened. You want to shy away from that and take a break from that. And that's okay if you mentally need to take a break, but you can't take a forever break. You eventually have to be like, okay, this bums me out. So what can I do to change it? Do I want my kids to grow up in a world that where they have less rights over their body than I had when I was younger? Absolutely not. So think about the long run and, and it's not just about you consider the greater good and even when our country is so divided, like this is when we need to come together more than ever to show these these nine, well, really six, that, you know, we won't stand for stuff like mm-hmm. this. And, and that you you can't just change the whole world that we've grown up in. And, and changing it for the good is one thing. And being progressive and, you know, when gay marriage was a – uh, legalized and everything. That was fantastic. To, if we were to take that away now, mm-hmm. things would be a gazillion times worse than they were before it was even legalized. To take away the right to abortion now, things are going to be way worse. And, you know, I mean, it's we're turning back the clock. Yeah. And that's not how life is intended to be. No. Life moves forward. The way that our, we all live and survive is you know, by, by moving forward. So to go backwards, we're all just, it's a death sentence. Oh, I totally agree. And, uh, as much as the opinion sort of said, well, this isn't, you know, it's, this is just this facts at hand right here. I think there are enough footnotes. There's enough language in there that it is teed up to be even more egregious in the next thing. But like you said, letting yourself be frustrated by it but then just saying what is one thing i can do Mm -hmm. this week that's helpful Mm -hmm. because not you don't hey everybody listening there's a lot of you you alone don't have to save the world but there's a lot of us Mm -hmm. me and christy that's two you're listening that's three and you probably got a buddy or two that'll help you you know when you start to go well i can't get all these starfish off the beach well you can grab the ones you can grab Mm -hmm. i'll grab the ones i can grab christy will grab the ones she can grab and we can all go together but when if you look at the history of abortion rights in America, really 1973 when Roe v. Wade uh, was handed down, that really galvanized the conservative movement. And hopefully now this Dobbs decision will see very much galvanize this pluralistic society. We're like, listen, we all have different ideals and beliefs, but we all want to make sure we're all heard. And we all want to make sure we have fundamental things like the right to health, privacy, how our family looks, how our body is handled. And we all want to make sure we have those things that when you ask yourself, what does it truly mean to be free? It's that. And it includes Mm -hmm. that. And just to give us all a little bit of a salve here towards the end, um, Erwin Chemerinsky, who's this like longstanding constitutional law scholar, I listened to an interview with him, and he did say he believes that Dobbs will eventually be overturned. He's like, look, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I he, he quoted Martin Luther King and said, you know, the arc of justice is long and it bends toward – or the yeah, the moral arc is long and it bends towards justice, that famous quote, mm-hmm. and just said, you know, it, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but hopefully enough people are awake and involved and care more – and we'll move toward uh, a better, safer place for everybody. So you don't have to worry about Ella and Simon growing up mm-hmm. in a world where they can't uh, 
make all those decisions to mm-hmm. truly live this free life that we promised, right? Mm-hmm. You say land of the free. Well, not really. Yeah. And like you said, having that passion is what we need to enact change. So let that anger drive you. I'll, I'll please allow me to rephrase land of the free. Not yet. Mm, I like that. I like that. Well, although things may seem hopeless, understanding the landscape, what part we play in it, and where we may pitch in to help are all ways to reclaim some hope. To quote Charlotte's Web author E.B. White's response in 1973, when he was asked for his opinion on what he saw as a bleak future for the human race. As long as there is one upright man, as long as there is one compassionate woman, the contagion may spread and the scene is not desolate. Hope is the thing that is left to us in a bad time. But as a people, we probably harbor seeds of goodness that have lain for a long time waiting to sprout when the conditions are right. Man's curiosity, his relentlessness, his inventiveness, his ingenuity have led him into deep trouble. We can only hope that these same traits will enable him to claw his way out. Hang on to your hat, hang on to your hope, and wind the clock, for tomorrow is another day. Well, I'll say so. What do we think? But I think that we've... <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. I, oh, I love it. I love it so much. I, I think we've talked about what of what we think. But to end it on uh, more of a hopeful note, yeah, I, I again, just want to thank you for doing so much work to educate everyone and um, also just all the work you do to really enact change. You're very involved in... Uh, local politics and keeping up to date on everything. You're my uh, you're my main news source. You and TikTok. So thank you for that. You're uh, very welcome. But uh, um, yeah, I know that it's so upsetting and overwhelming for so many. But we can't let that. They win if we all just say, "Well, yeah, throw our hands up. This is it. We don't have the energy to fight this anymore." Then they win. So we can't do that. No, I agree. And I think there are too many people who don't have the same amount of power and privilege, at least as I know I have, and everybody can do that individual assessment on their own. But to just say, well, I'm in a move or it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. to me. I have, you know, whatever. I have this resource. Um, I, I think you have to say your problem is my problem, right? I'm not a Native American, but I'm very concerned about the erosion of tribal sovereignty. I am not a gun owner, but I'm nervous about, well, actually, technically, I am a gun owner. It's a whole thing. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Inherited some guns. (laughs) We'll get into that, and I'll talk about that on the next Q&A. But, you know, if you say, I'm not gay, I'm not trans, I'm not non-binary, nonetheless, these things matter to me because Mm -hmm. They're human beings. It's I don't even have I have friends who are trans and non-binary, but I don't need I, I need them because they're wonderful in my life. But having that empathy doesn't require that first person connection. Mm-hmm. I don't think it shouldn't. And I even if you don't have a uterus or you don't have kids or you think you'd never have an abortion or if you're deeply religious, I think saying, well, I want a person to have a true choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want them to truly be able to exercise autonomy. If you want a framework to protect you know, a viable fetus or whatever. That was what we had and, and just got, you know, shat upon. And I think we should all care that the state wants to kill innocent people yeah. because figuring out whether or not they're innocent just costs too much. Yeah. And so things like that, I think you kind of go, well, I'm never going to commit a crime. Well, yeah, Ryan Ferguson didn't commit a crime mm-hmm. either. And they threw his ass in jail and accused him of murder. And so and he was Mirandized. So, you know, you you look at cases like that and say, well, that could never happen to me. Well, it doesn't matter if nah, that's important. It could. 
A lot of stuff could. Mm -hmm. And it could happen to you or a family member, somebody you love, a friend, whatever. So uh, I hope that uh, the homework for life is just what can I do, even if it's on a small scale, and then just saying all problems are my problem. Be an ally. Yeah. You know, for everybody. For everybody. Incarcerated people. Yeah. You know, people, you know, Native Americans who just want tribal sovereignty and they want the fucking government running in and run roughshod over them for, you know, LGBTQ people who just want to be married and not have to worry about it. I will say we got so many questions. We don't have time to get to them. What I'm going to do as soon as we get off of here is I'll make like an FAQ of some of the questions and I'll put them in the show notes. So at the bottom, I'll put them at the bottom of the show. Well, maybe I'll put it at the top, put it at the top of the show notes, sources at the bottom, but with like links and stuff. Cause oh, we had helpful. some questions about like, mm-hmm. how can queer families protect themselves and stuff like that? And I don't want that to go unanswered. Mm-hmm. So oh, sinisterhood.com slash show notes and it will be there. Or you thank can you. click this thing. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you. Uh, maybe we change some opinions. Maybe we, enlighten some people educated if even one then we've done our job yeah so. and uh if you want to just like dm and be like you're too political you i want you to take that write it in a note <laughs> on your phone and then push the little garbage can button yeah. just do your i'm not going to read it i don't give a shit uh um, here's the can't. newsflash we could give a fuck less if you th- <laughs> if you agree with our political opinions we are who we are we're not ashamed of that no if you don't if you don't like it there's a million other podcasts out there that probably yeah. align better with your beliefs. I will die fighting for people. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And if uh, you don't like I'm it, I'm not going to apologize for my suck beliefs. My whole ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe our follower count goes down. But you know what? As we always say, did we really want those people anyways? No. You know what? If you don't agree, if you if you're like. I don't think we should protect people. You're not allowed to listen to the show yeah, anymore. You've yeah. been banned. This is the the clerk's moment where the lady goes, I'm not going to shop here. And Randall walks out and goes, hey, you're not allowed to shop here anymore. You're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to rent videos here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling clerks. I'm at Kevin Smith this weekend. <laughs> That's true. You can't fire me. I quit. Yeah. I quit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those enrolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus mini-sode last month is the Bebop and BB TikTok controversy, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and so much more. And patrons in our Getting Into It tier also vote on a bonus content segment each month that they get to see us stream live. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions and find out how Heather inherited a bunch of guns this month. What am I going to do with them? (laughs) You'll find out. For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. Make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out and our thank-you corner. 
So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com. Click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. If you've been listening for a long time and you haven't reviewed or rated us, probably now would be a good time, just in case <laughs> people turn. <laughs> I would say do some preemptive five stars if you're so inclined. Yeah. If you're like, oh, they don't need any reviews. Just in case, you know, I'm just this saying. Was just a, this may have been a polarizing episode, but we—it's important. And if you have family members that you're like, "Man, I don't know how to talk to them about some of this stuff," to click that, click those little three dots. Just share it, and, and we'll take the heat for it. You can blame it on us. Just <laughs> send it their way. Maybe, maybe they'll learn something. I think that yes, we are clearly very progressive, liberal thinkers, but I think we all you especially explain things in a way that it's not about politics. It's about humanity and, and bettering humanity. And when you kind of take out Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, and you just look at it as how can we all be better? Mm -hmm. Now, granted, those are intertwined with a lot of our political leanings, but you know, do they all have to be, can't a lot of them just be, this is what's best for humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I think objectively. We live in a, yeah, I think you're right. I think we live in a objectively. We live in a pluralistic society. We've all got different views and stuff, and so that's why these type of frameworks and tests and these rights we had had were so important. And mm-hmm. that I think we should all want to reinstate this wonderful thing that we once had to protect what we all want, which is freedom, right, liberty. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. We've been coming up with some talks. Got, Got a lot of good the... TikToks. We're 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 up in our top game. <laughs> I say? Reese, I now have three TikToks on my personal account. Shit. I don't want to brag, but I made one about some Halloween cupcakes that we made. I loved it. I <laughs> thank loved you. It. I, it's for as simple as it was. Um, I was like, everyone out of the kitchen. I have to film this. I had to shoot it like five different times. I don't, I mad respect to content creators on TikTok that that's what they do all the time because that shit is so time consuming and you got to be so in the know all the time. I don't know how y'all do it, but I respect the shit out of it. And I meant to say this earlier and it kind of ties into this. I have so much hope for Gen Z. Like as much shit as people want to give Gen Zers, I fucking love them. They might be my favorite generation and I'm including my own in that. Same. I love Gen Zers more I than love millennials. It. I think they're the most woke generation we have. They're the most understanding. And of course there's going to be outliers, but as a whole, I really think the tides are shifting and mm-hmm. they're going to be the ones that are the lawmakers and, and everything. And you've got people that um what's the girl that uh is so passionate about climate change Greta? that was time the time uh Greta Thunberg yes her uh the the young man from Parkland that is now David Hogg yeah like all of these people 
because they're growing up in it and they're experiencing Dude, he's 22 it. when i was 22 Dude, I was so fucking I was, dumb that was dumb as shit but they're they're in it they're in the yeah. thick of it so i think that passion and drive mm-hmm. is really going to come out and we're going to see some great things things happen and at the very least we're seeing some great content on tiktok from them so there's <laughs> no, always that <laughs> better entertainment and also a better future yes, thank you yes. gen z we are here to support yes. you run for office um we sorry we fumbled the ball so badly <laughs> right sorry oh, where can a- people online see your hot talks my hot talk is well and my hot tweets which come out maybe once every six months are at christy or gtfo and my instagram is christy m wallace heather I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world, and I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy and vote. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Jenna Underwood. Isabella Noble Hartzler. Lori Boykin, Amanda Klee, Midori Longo, Nikki Costa, Mazia Hira, Lindy Blank, Emma Desiberia, Bianca Bryce, Ainsley Dunford Farrell, Monica Cassette, Kayla Ann, Jordan, Nicole Nelson, Orion Blackwood, Jen McBroom, Tara Duff, Sarah Johnny, Lori Bauerline, Jenny, Amanda G, Sydney Kelly, Lindsay. Katie Williams, Jessica Smith, Lynette Matson, Michaela Larson, Bridget, Dulcie Tremble, Katie Smoove, Julia Caprin, Kayleen, Lou Harrison, Hannah L, Spencer Steele, Kelly, Lauren Phillips, Megan Ingalls, and Tracy Barrett Welser. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. And we hope we pronounced your names correctly. We love you so much. And We also love these people that we would like to thank in our thank you corner for some lovely gifts. Yes, thank you so much to Lori B. for the Mystery Tarot and the People magazine about true crime. Also, you sent such a wonderful letter with photos of you with Tom Hiddleston and John Cusack um, with Edward James almost photobombing you. God, this is the most epic photo that's ever been taken. Thank you so much. Also, Lori said uh, her friend brought her to the Orlando show. It was the first time she heard us, and now she's a big fan. So oh, thank you so much. I believe, that. based on the photo, her friend is a 3L in law school. So I hope nice. law school is going well. And then we also have to thank Danny for – I'm going to show you two things. I can't First wait. of all, we have these amazing paintings. Let me see what we've got here. Oh, she I said, love that. Her name is Princess Sharon. She was on one of our bonus content segments. And she said after that episode, it refueled her to paint again. And they're called Vigiodes. So they're vagina geodes. I love it. They're fantastic. I love the colors. That the blues are pretty. And she said, uh, it seems like they help me feel like I'm getting my power back. So they're beautiful. Thank you, Danny, for these. Thank and you. she also she sent this. You can see it's like a fun little sock. Uh-huh. Little heart. I don't know if you're ready for this, but I'm gonna um, go ahead and show it oh to you. Gosh. I hope it's okay. Um, she made this sleeping bag for you. You, there's two of these. One's for you. One's for me. But in case you can't stand to have this on your desk, the little sleeping bags for it. But they're little ETs. Oh, bless you. There's one little ET. Ah, uh, what is with that? With a little one coffee. Little he has coffee a coffee. Mug. 
And then there's one ET with the phone, and he's like ready. He's oh, like, bam. I probably can I have the phone one since you drink more coffee than me. I wanted the coffee there you one. Go. It's perfect. I love these little guys. So, oh my gosh, I, I love you that he has a case in case I can't handle a little this. carrying case just for you. Um, so the sleeping Thank bag so is just much. for you and. To just hide it so you don't cry. <laughs> I appreciate that. I recently, yesterday, because we're putting up Halloween decorations in Ella's room, and I was like, let's get all your Halloween stuffies and put them out in in this certain area. And we came upon her E.T. stuffy, and I was like, he's an alien. Is he Halloween? And she said yes. So now I'm seeing little baby E.T. stuffy every time I go in her room. So Fuck yeah, I'm he's working Halloween. through some things. <laughs> I love it. You've. I love that you have process your ET <laughs> I have not. I could cry right now, but I'm also uh, very weepy in general right now, so it wouldn't Same. take much. Uh, but thank you so much. That's so sweet, everybody, that not only sends in presents, but just well wishes and kind words. We so appreciate it, and we couldn't do this without y'all. So thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs> 